Epic Game is an interesting company. For the first couple of decades, its game engine, the Unreal Engine, has powered the creation of many AAA video games. But what propelled its reputation in recent years is really the global success of Fortnite, which became one of the most popular video games in the past decade. The evolution of Fortnite with Fortnite Creative, which enables anyone to build games and experiences inside the Fortnite ecosystem, and the evolution of the Unreal Engine, which now also powers innovation beyond gaming, such as the use of the engine in producing Disney Lucasfilm TV series, The Mandalorian. The engine is really ushering a new era for how a company like Epic Games expands its technology and tools of creation to new audiences, amateurs, and professionals alike. Recently, we also saw news on partnership that Epic Games signed with global powerhouses such as LVMH and giving LVMH access to Epic's wider toolset as it brings 3D into its creative process and commercial ecosystem. Which is why I'm so excited to host today on the show Rafaela Camera, until recently head of brands, Unreal Engine at Epic Games. In this role, Rafaela was responsible for the overall industry setup and strategic growth of the Epic ecosystem, from tools to Fortnite, for the lifestyle brands industry, including fashion, luxury, beauty, retail, and its connection to music, sports, and entertainment. Rafaela created new monetization models for virtual worlds and branded interactive experiences. She oversaw strategic business development, directed global strategic projects and gaming experiences, and the setup of corporate 3D digital factories for internal production, consumer engagement, and commerce. She led product marketing, built and directed multifunctional, global teams sourced, negotiated, closed, and directed execution of multiple global, multi-year strategic partnership, including LVMH, WPP, Timberland, and Qualcomm. Prior to her role at Epic Games, Rafaela was Global Head of Innovation and Strategy for XR at Accenture, a practice of which she was the co-creator of. As always, everything discussed on the podcast is not a financial advice and aimed at educational and entertainment purposes only. Conversation between Rafaela and I really focuses on not only the major transition of the internet from 2D to 3D, but also on our personal journey and leadership in the space. I'm certain you're going to love this episode. The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to be the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing these promises to life. Join creator and host Jonathan Ross Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as he interviews the brilliant minds that are building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. So welcome to Into the Metaverse. I'm here with Rafaela Camara today joining me. Rafaela, I'm so delighted to have you on the pod today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So, Rafaela, I've, I've been fortunate to speak with many brilliant minds to help build sort of a consensus on around the metaverse concept. And the first question I always ask guests who come on the pod is, what is the metaverse to you and why is it happening now? That's probably the most difficult question you're going to ask me <laughs> the entire time that we're here. Um, let's leave aside the word metaverse for a second and let's step back. Um, if we all agree and believe that we're moving from a 2D screen type of experience in the world to a 3D type of interaction of some kind, um, then I think we have to believe that some form of metaverse, or call it whatever you want, or 3D-based worlds, is going to be what the future is. Um, with that in mind, uh, I think uh, we can also agree on the fact that the building blocks of what these 3D worlds are already exist 
and have existed for probably at least the past 10 years. And on the technology side, we're talking mostly about game engines, uh, that different different ones, but uh, from, from Unity to Unreal Engine to other ones. So ways of building these uh, high-fidelity interactive type of experiences and worlds. And on the audience, or I would say interaction type between users, between players, uh, between people, or between objects and, and environments, I think those also exist, and they exist in, also, again, in the gaming worlds. Uh, what we see is that uh, gaming worlds like uh, Roblox or Fortnite or other ones actually do have, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of players and the ways of, of the, the definition or the ways of interacting with, again, with environments, with, with each other already kind of like exist. So a lot of it is being borrowed from there. So I don't think it's a matter of saying why now. It's been existing for a while. It's been called something else. It is evolving into whatever word we are going to choose in the future. Uh, certainly, though, in the past two years, we have reached uh, a different level from a tech perspective, both from the tools, from the hardware, if we start looking at things that are a little bit more VR-based or AR-based, and also from the, from the audience perspective, how much gaming, for example, is being accepted by users, how many, how many players we have. Um, I think if we look just at how many people view the Oscars this year versus the gaming awards, I think it's, a, it's a roughly tenfold. I believe it's something around 50 million viewers for the Oscars and 103, 107 million for the Game Awards. So certainly things are switching that way. I just think that the, there is part of the population that really sees that every day and some others still don't see it. I like that you started by saying, let's ignore the word metaverse. And, you know, in a way, I think there's another element to the metaverse, which is it's about human behavior at the end of the day, right? Because technology is really here to serve people, to serve businesses, to do something with it. And I wonder what if the metaverse is really more of a, a moment in time where people are going to care as much about their virtual identity and virtual life as they do about their physical life and maybe even more. And I think to some extent we see some behaviors like that where it really comes to life in a really interesting way. And there's data points to show anywhere from the amount of skins that are being sold and on Fortnite to the number of times that a user on Roblox changes their avatar outfits every day. Um, and so I think to your point, the human behavior element is something that is not spoken about enough because we're so bogged down on the tech, on the tech, on the tech. But the human behavior is really what's going to drive the evolution of these categories. Yeah, and if uh, you know, borrowing a little bit from from Epic, which is where I come from, last this idea of social entertainment and this idea of moving people around something that they're doing that is similar to what they might be doing in the real world, in the physical world, when they're having fun. They might be uh, walking down the street with their friends, playing a game, you know, playing baseball or going to a concert. It's, it's very much trying to take that and, and now uh, bringing it into a virtual environment. So you can have those same types of social interactions but have fun at the same time and keep on doing that. And going back to your point, even if we just look at, uh, maybe it's, uh, hopefully it's not going to be the same, but if we look at social media and how much people care about the way that they look and they are portrayed in social media sometimes more than in their physical lives, it's impossible not to think that that is not going to be the way that it is also, also going to be in a 3D environment. Hopefully, though, uh, with different rules, different ethical rules. 100%. So we're going to dig 
much, much deeper on that. But before we do, I'd love to hear about your personal journey, you know, starting from an account director at Publicis, a large advertising group, and all the way to leading commercial at Epic's Unreal Engine group. Um, for example, one of the key questions I have is at what point of time during that journey, and I'd love to hear about that journey, but at what point of time did you start noticing that technologies like game engines and the gaming industry overall are actually becoming a key stakeholder for the future of the internet? So I'd love to hear your opinion on that. But before that, walk us through that journey that took you all the way from Publicis to striking amazing deals with Unreal Engine and groups like LVMH and so on and so forth. Yeah, look, there are people who will say and uh, will be able to tell you that they had a, their journey planned. Um, I, I would lie if I said that. I came from Italy for my master's in piano performance. I used to be a classical pianist. Uh, I started at the conservatory in Italy and I also did my MBA here in LA. And then I started working in advertising and uh, mostly on the digital side. I wanted to be part of something that was new and creative, at least in concept. And for me, that was, that was the case. So I think I, I spent the first half of my career in advertising, mostly digital. That helped me figure out how to brand, how to tell a story, and how to take technology and make it uh, something that, that, that people every day were using uh, in, in some form of fashion, mostly on the marketing side. I started um, working on AR projects in 2010. Um, these were the old days when you had to use a, a marker of some kind and you had to use a laptop, not even a cell phone, because cell phones were not powerful enough. And I remember that one campaign that I had something to do with or that I was working on was a muscle milk campaign where Shaq would come out of the bottle and play the guitar and tell you something. Uh, I think he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers at the time. So it was a really, really long time ago. It's 13 years later now, which ages me. But um, at that time, it was already possible uh, to see how that was a different way of communicating with people. Uh, there was some form of a 3D or more interactive or more wowing type of experience that it could offer. Um, I continued that journey. I, I worked uh, for a, a recognition platform called ID, and the technology was, uh, we were competitors before Matayo, so I went very much on the technology side. From there, um, Accenture asked me to join and start and set up the XR practice, the global XR practice, so anything that is AR, VR, or 3D. Uh, we were two when we started. We were 300 uh, after four years. Uh, when I left. And at Accenture, it was more around, uh, you know, on the B2B side, anything from training to manufacturing, but also to marketing and commerce itself, how could the technology be used? Uh, so figuring out what offerings Accenture should be going after, what the different industries, clients-wise, should care about in using the technology. So one example was a VR merchandising study done with Kellogg's and Qualcomm, uh, where you could already test where the boxes of, of, of uh, uh, Pop-Tarts bites should be placed in order to maximize the sales for the entire brand in a specific store and being able to do that in VR. It was very successful. We actually were able to get a specific, a specific percentage down. Uh, so it was published in the Harvard Business Review and all that. During that time, I met uh, Mark Petit. 
uh, GM of Unreal Engine, and he brought me over to Epic to really start and set up the um, the lives. I call it the lifestyle brands um, vertical. So anything from fashion, apparel, retail, um, luxury, beauty, um, and then how it would connect. Uh, so from from how to use the tools and the libraries that Epic has, all the way to how to then bring these uh, these companies and these players into Fortnite Creative or Fortnite. So the entire Epic ecosystem. I mean, when you think about that move that you made from Accenture, a small consulting group with 700,000 employees to what in 2021 Epic Games was known very much obviously in the gaming industry um, I think it was just around the time when Travis Scott did the concert uh, the famous concert I think right after you joined probably around the summertime of 2020 um, 2020 right COVID arrives um, then it's 2021 and but what was sort of the the framework you used in deciding to move from an organization like Accenture, which goes very wide to a company that not only is way smaller, but also in a relatively specific industry? Well, first off, uh, being able to move from services to product. Um, I much, generally speaking, I prefer working on the product side. Uh, you feel like you are actually affecting uh, the industry directly by, by providing a specific product, a specific solution, versus just trying to help the clients. Uh, it's, it can be frustrating having to pull out every time that you finish a project or every time you've helped, and then you cannot continue that journey. So certainly that. Uh, also, because of my role, I was working with, uh, uh, with game engines already. And, uh, and to be honest, uh, we were working a lot more at Accenture with, at the time uh, with Unity than Unreal Engine. Uh, Unity had a little bit more of a, of a marketplace at the time, than at least for, for anything that was B2B uh, related. Um, but the work that Epic was doing was so beautiful. Uh, the, the results that they were getting from a... Uh, from an engine perspective and the level of fidelity, uh, but also the fact that Epic um, has a unique uh, position in the market. It's kind of like the only company that really covers the entire ecosystem, from the tools to the libraries to actually the store, all the way to the audiences themselves, and so the, the, the games. Um, so it's difficult to... Think of another company that has such a full-on view of what's happening in 3D worlds. And it's a beautiful story if you are lucky enough to be able to tell it, to go out and, and, and explain or try to partner uh, with other uh, smart corporations on the other side by being able to try to affect the entire um, the entire business, uh, from concept to consumer, or uh, from internal practices to direct to consumer, how to reach consumers outside. So at that point, you're joining, you know, May 2021. Epic is obviously starting to really have a, a better grip of the wider opportunity. And as you said, the kind of an end-to-end -end platform, unlike anything else really in the industry, it has games, it has the engine. It has the publishing store. It has, you know, Fortnite, Fortnite Creative, and so on and so forth. Working inside the Unreal Engine group, 
what was sort of the main thing that when you came in, you were expected to build? Uh, well, I think uh, certainly making sure that there was a good understanding of what the engine could do and making sure that within the specific industry, we had a good representation uh, of, of, of users, um, right? So Unreal Engine is, is, is really a tool that is uh, mostly um, free uh, for, for creators to use, but being able to uh, explain how it could best help corporations do anything from designing the product to doing R&D on materials to producing samples and producing them uh, virtually instead of producing them physically to, um, you know, some form of uh, real-time configurator to uh, 3D images now on websites instead of having flat 2D images to branded 3D worlds to any experience that might be um, directly into into games that are epics games or other games. So I'm curious because obviously majority of people who know about epic games and know about the Unreal Engine always associated the Unreal Engine with creation of of AAA games, right? The, the the incredible high fidelity, the quality of the engine coming in and starting to work on those other verticals related to the potential impact that the Unreal Engine can make. I mean, we've seen stories like how the production of The Mandalorian used the Unreal Engine. What do you what do you believe are some examples of project you worked on that you can share that you believe were kind of unlock in showing other industries outside of gaming that the Unreal Engine can be a really valuable technology and a tool for them? Well, one example was Ferrari, uh, what Ferrari decided to do in, uh, in the production of their uh, GTB 268, 248, I don't remember exactly uh, the name of the model, but basically it was the recreation of the car and, the, and, the, and then the usage of, of the 3D assets for the commercials, but also for their um, um, uh, virtual configurator and uh, taking the car actually directly into Fortnite and, and letting players uh, uh, use it and, uh, and drive it while they were playing the, the game. Um, a, a famous one is Balenciaga and what Balenciaga ended up doing with, uh, with the tools and again with Fortnite and Fortnite Creative itself. Anything from uh, showcasing the, the collection in a game-like world to bring in and, and creating items and bringing them into Fortnite, uh, creating a story in Fortnite Creative, um, and then even having billboards uh, that, that were being run in, uh, you know, with 3D assets and uh, ideally the same 3D assets. These are just some of the examples, but for sure there were, there were examples on the automotive side, on the media and entertainment side. These are two of the industries that really adopted 3D and 3D technology the fastest, all the way into, uh, into fashion, uh, into architecture, and even simulation. So obviously we can talk about partnerships around the Unreal Engine and, and project you worked on without talking about the likely most noticeable uh, of them all, which was what was, you know, several months ago was announced, a partnership between, you know, Epic Games and uh, LVMH, uh, the world's largest luxury group. Uh, this landmark deal, Rafaela, which was really, you know, I believe conceived and, and, and driven by you internally, included really a strategic collaboration between Epic Games 
not only across all 75 maisons or you know houses uh, in the LVMH group, but also across all of Epic Games technologies and, and tools and, and platforms. Tell us a little bit about how did the deal came together again from you know what you can share, what is so important about it? Because it obviously made a lot of waves and a lot of noise in the industry, both in tech and also in fashion and luxury. And how do you envision a deal like that impacting what other players are going to do in the fashion, beauty, and luxury industries? Look, if we go back to the beginning of our conversation tonight, um, and if you believe that we're moving from a 2D-based world to a 3D-based world, and you are an innovative company uh, like uh, LVMH is, uh, and you're leading uh, in that specific sector, then you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to plan for the future? So naturally, you try to have conversations with the, the leaders on the technology and on the audience side um, in the world. And so we just started having just, uh, just casual conversations to understand what we were doing, what they were doing, what was their interest, what was ours, what is really the entire Epic ecosystem, again, from tools all the way to games and how LVMH could uh, leverage the entire Epic ecosystem to move forward and plan their activities in the future. And so without disclosing uh, you know, anything specific around the deal, but it, re it really is very much this idea of can we affect internal efficiency? And so production or planning of production of any product or even any environment uh, and you can look across the different uh, sub-industries in their luxury lifestyle group, so from, from alcohol to, to fashion, beauty, um, jewelry, so on and so forth. And then how do you start learning or how do you even start having experiences that are directly into this game, in, in this game world so that you figure out how to reach consumers differently and you figure out how to reach a different audience, potentially a younger audience, and, and you learn as you go and you start reaping the benefits of that uh, at the same time. So it's, it's a, it's a far-fetched and, and certainly a visioning deal. What I'm hoping is going to happen and the idea behind it is that the rest of the industry, the rest of the uh, lifestyle industry would see results from it whenever they're public and kind of like learn from that and move along. Uh, certainly there is a leading position on one side uh, and then uh, followers on the other. I think what was so unique as I was reading about the the deal publicly, I think what was so unique to me to understand is that a lot of what I've seen over the past few years was really these anecdotal partnerships that brands and groups that anywhere from fashion to luxury to beauty to entertainment to media are doing as they enter, you know, quote unquote metaverse platforms like, you know, the Epic ecosystem, Roblox. Um but they are always so specific, right? It's, I'm going to do something on Roblox or I'm going to do something in UEFN. Uh, I'm going to use the Unreal Engine for um, creating some sort of a digital tween that allows me to uh, sort of mimic uh, production processes and, and design something better before I even do anything physically. I think what was so unique here, and I know you can't share details, so we're just going to have to wait and see what actually... Uh, LVMH is doing, but I think what was so unique to me is that it was this sort of very, very broad 
announcement. It's it's LVMH coming in and saying, hey, there is Fortnite creative, there is production processes, there is designing digital goods in-house, there is training our team. And it was sort of a very strategic overview on all of the things that when we're talking about the metaverse or the transition of the internet from 2D to 3D, it will impact a lot of those things. And, you know, it really connects to also a conversation that I had with people like Rev Liberidian, the, you know, VP Omniverse and Simulation at NVIDIA, who have the Omniverse and really their premise is entirely focused on a digital twin, allowing manufacturing companies to simulate fully virtually in a way that mimics the real world, fully simulating what that new factory could look like and projecting the output of that before they even invest one single dollar into actually building something uh, on, on in real life, physically. Um, and I think that is so profound because a lot of people, and I'm curious about your point of view because you've been talking to many brands over the last few years, also with your role at Accenture, a lot of people look at the metaverse or they think about virtual world and all they hear is video games. Now, I don't want to rule out that the future may all look like a video game. It could all be that, you know, we're all in the matrix. But it's clear that the opportunity and the transformation for the enterprise and also for industrial companies is going to be quite profound, but it's less spoken about because I think people find that less relatable and also people are obviously more focused on the consumer. But talking to all of these brands like LVMH and other automakers that you've mentioned, what are some of the things that you believe companies like that should think about the future when they think about virtual worlds, game engines, et cetera? You know, there is so much to unpack in what you just said. It was beautifully said as well. Uh, let me go back to that for a second, though, and just because I, I do want to give kudos where, where, they're, where, where they're out. Um, on one side, LVMH has been great at wanting to understand how to bring their entire business in the future. Again, from internal production all the way to how to reach consumers and how to do commerce. On the other side, as I was saying before, Epic is one of the only companies that has the entire ecosystem from one side to the other. And I'll add a third point. My uh, journey has been a little bit different, right? From Accenture and a little bit more on the internal side to advertising to Epic itself. So I've been able to see and have to offer advice or solutions for the B2B side. And so the production and the more efficiency side of the house before with Accenture, and then maybe a little bit more on the gaming side and how you reach consumers. And then I had to do it before in advertising. So for me, it was a little bit easier to be able to tell, I think, that entire full-fledged story. And what you know, if you're thinking about what does a brand want, being able to explain it from, again, production and internal processes all the way out, and ideally be able to uh, come with a solution that is an ecosystem or a company that uh, you know, allows you to create once and then reuse those same assets of those experiences uh, as easily as possible. So that, and, you know, and that is the idea of the metaverse in any case and this open standards and open everything. So I just wanted to, uh, to say that because you're absolutely right that the most, uh, the, the most jarring thing about the, the, the partnership is how wide it is. Uh, and how um, future-proofing it is. Um, now, going back to, to the industries, there are tons of industries that actually I, I, I cannot think of, of many industries that cannot get advantage from 3D tools or from 3D worlds. 
uh, I think healthcare will be completely changed uh, by through the technology. Anything from the way that you can interact and you can uh, you can connect now with patients to the way that you can train to treat them to the way that you can train to do manufacturing or 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 any form of setup even of uh, on the drugs manufacturing side internally. Um, automotive has already been um, heavily disrupted again from R&D to the design of the cars themselves to being able to produce these really expensive uh, products uh, virtually first to even what is the concept of a car now uh, filled with 3D tools and the 3D types of experiences directly inside the car. Um, it's, it's changing, right? What, what it means to buy a car and why, you, why you're buying a car and what you see inside of it. And Real Engine itself runs the HMIs of a number of different cars. So these are just some of the industries that have been uh, heavily, heavily disrupted and will continue being disrupted. Yeah, it's, I think that's exactly my point around how, how early we are in this space, right? When we talk about this evolution from 2D to 3D, it really, quite, it, it really is quite profound. And it's not because suddenly we're only going to live in virtual worlds. No, it's how these virtual worlds and 3D environments and 3D tools are going to actually enable us to do things more rapidly, more efficiently, um, unlock experiences that were not possible before. Um, you know, for example, I know uh, the Boston Children's Hospital has a whole, you know, simulation and experimentation kind of lab where they constantly look at immersive technologies and how can they, you know, better train doctors and surgeons before they do anything with their patients. Um, we can talk about patient experience in general and especially with young people, right? There's just so many things that today we take for granted as if they cannot be changed. But when you look at what 3D tools could enable, um, it's really quite profound. And, I, and, and I'm so excited to see what are some of those innovations that are going to really make an impact on these industries. Uh, I think there is some disruption that will happen. Um, but at the end of the day, I think of these technologies, including you know AI, as extensions of human endeavor. And I think it will open up completely new roles and jobs and opportunities for people to learn skills that were not relevant before because we didn't have these extendable technologies to, you know, elevate and empower human ingenuity. Yeah. And I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's the case in other industries that don't talk about this. They talk about it, maybe giving it a different definition or using different words. They talk about digital transformation. They talk about uh, you know, efficiency using uh, 3D production tools. They just don't talk about the metaverse per se, maybe sometimes, or they don't know what exactly that means and they might get confused. But uh, at the core of it, uh, 3D, 3D technology is really affecting every industry and it has been affecting every industry for a while. One of, uh, one of my clients when I was at Accenture was PNG and PNG already had for a number of years before I joined Accenture a, a 3D group. Uh, where they uh, they were they were testing packaging in 3D and you know what they were doing what their competitors were doing and and doing it in different ways so it's 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 not new it's just being discussed in different ways. It just feels like we've been in a dig there's a digital transformation industry for like 20 years now. It's like a never well, ending transformation. I don't think right? it will ever end. Yes, it's so <laughs> the interesting. definition of it it will always it will always get transformed. Yes. Um, 
Rafaela, let's switch gears and talk a bit about a really exciting announcement that Epic Games made earlier this year uh, on the next iteration of Fortnite Creative. You know, for those who are not familiar, quickly, you know, Fortnite, one of the largest video games, one of the most successful video games of the last decade, uh, fully owned an original IP from Epic Games. Um, and Fortnite Creative quickly became a, a great expansion community that enable creativity and anyone can create experiences for Fortnite ecosystem. And that includes both, the announcement they really included both the integration of the Unreal Engine, you know, AKA UEFN, and also the introduction of Fortnite Economy 2.0, which saw Epic Games committing 40% of net revenue from Fortnite to be paid to ecosystem creators. Essentially anyone that builds games on the Fortnite ecosystem can now monetize. How do you see Fortnite Creative's role in the future of the game industry? I'll say, um, I'll say that it's 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 uh, the 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 idea behind it has always been to give creators the the freedom to to create whatever they want and whichever way they want. And Fortnite Creative is a humongous and beautiful step uh, into that. And the economy and setting up the economy to make sure that 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 creators are rewarded is certainly also. Uh, something very much along the lines of what Epic likes to do and and and, and keeps on doing, which is to reward creators. Um, I think it gives uh, another large platform, uh, another opportunity uh, to use a large platform to creators to to reach consumers. Uh, it's not just Roblox anymore. It's it's Fortnite Creative. Not that it wasn't the case before, but suddenly the tools now are much more advanced. It's the ability of using uh, pretty much uh, UE tools directly into into uh, Fortnite Creative and being able to create them that way. I think it will set the standard, or it will push brands to to test more and to figure out how to reach consumers in gaming worlds more. Uh, up to now, they've only had a few choices, a few places where they could do that. Roblox, potentially Decentraland uh, or, or Sandbox. Uh, having the ability to create their own branded experiences and making them look whichever way they want into another large game uh, will naturally push uh, creators to figure out Okay, how do I go and 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 create a relationship with these with these gamers into these new audiences? When you look at the expansion of Fortnite Creative as, a, as an ecosystem, and I've been obviously as as the CEO of Super Social, who builds a lot on the Roblox platform and you know rapidly expanding into UEFN as well, I. I am frequently asked about the differences between these platforms. And I have kind of a clear point of view, at least for now, that you know Roblox is a platform that was born as a platform and expanded as a platform for a very long time. You know, it's a it's a 17-year-old overnight success as a platform, right? Um, but that means that the DNA of Roblox is a platform through and through, right? Roblox is a company, doesn't make content, they don't have a Fortnite. Uh, there's millions of millions of titles on the platform. It's almost like a an agnostic landlord, right? They let you into the building and you can build whatever apartment you want. Fortnite, on the other hand, started as a game. And it's still primarily a game that is a first-person shooter game, one of the most successful games of the of the of the, the past generation. Um that 
decided very thoughtfully and strategically to evolve the game to become a platform. But the DNA of the game still remains, at least in my opinion, uh, very much a game, not a platform. And I think to that extent provides quite a significant challenge on not just from just building a platform, right? For all intent and purposes, it's it's a multi-year, multi-million dollar effort to build a platform with all the tool set and capabilities and infrastructure and economy and so on and so forth. All the things that Roblox have perfected for a decade and a half. And then the second thing is the need to change perception. While Roblox has a challenge of changing the perception that it's a platform for kids, Fortnite needs to work on the perception that it's no longer just a game. It's now a platform for creators and for very diverse experiences that can be built by creators. How do you envision Epic being able to deal with that challenge of perception? Because I'm sure as a platform, they will build the right tools. They will build the right technology. It's going to happen. I am deterministically in belief that Fortnite Creative will become a major platform. I have, I have very little doubt about that, although I might be wrong. On the perception side, what do you think are the key challenges that Epic will need to overcome in turning Fortnite Creative into something that people recognize as a very open, diverse ecosystem of games and experiences? You know, it's a, it's a very good question. And I'm not really sure, uh, you know, which way Epic wants to go as far as does, it, does Epic really want to market it as a, as a platform or not? Um, I, I, I don't really know. Or does Epic want to uh, let the creators almost run and determine what this, what this world, you know, is and becomes? Uh, if, if we were to believe that, uh, you know, it is in fact a, a more idealistic metaverse world, then, then you wouldn't call it a, you wouldn't call it a platform. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to, to speculate without, uh, going back to some information that, that I might have from working there. Uh, so I'm trying to dance a little bit around this. Um, but at the same time, I, I am not so sure that, that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair question to ask Epic directly, uh, maybe a little bit less me, but, I, 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 I am not so sure that, that there is such a, an exact a plan or that the perception wants to be changed from the corporate side versus letting it come naturally. And again, this is just my own question and potential opinion. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I think that, um, I think it's, it's a, it wouldn't be a necessarily a bad idea for Epic to just kind of in a very laissez-faire mode, let the community do its part and define what they want. Um, if that is the case, I I would imagine that, I mean, look, if I look at the numbers and the reality is that I don't know the exact numbers, but what I've seen publicly is 70, 80% of Fortnite creative users are, you know, male audience between age 18 to 25. Maybe that changed a bit. It doesn't really matter. In in broad strokes, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively, you know, homogenous community of, of users. Um, and I imagine that in order to create an ecosystem where many, many diverse audiences want to come and find something to play and interact with, 
it will need to also be very diverse from a creation standpoint. So, and, and again, they may not want to be Roblox. I, I don't think that matters. I know that Fortnite creative would want to be Fortnite creative. I, I just challenge the assumption that something like that can just organically happen without a, a, a very dictating hand only because, only because Fortnite is a very well-known brand globally and it stands for a certain type of experience. Um, or, or what you can do, and I'm not saying that this is what Epic is doing, I'm just, uh, uh, I'm just speculating. You can also show some really good examples in, uh, in maybe some, some different types of gameplays or verticals, or you can, you can slice and dice it in many different ways, and then just let the audience and the creators take it from there and then see what really works, works well on that side. Um, that's also a, a possibility. Definitely. Let's talk a bit about brands in the context of these platforms, right? So we've seen almost 100, actually almost 200 brands that have been activating on Roblox over the past two, three years. We've seen, you know, dozens, if not more than 100 brands that have activated on Fortnite Creative and more are coming every day, every week. When you look at the space that these platforms operate and this singular positioning that Roblox and Fortnite Creative has, that you know they operate at a different scale from other platforms in the space. What do you think the role that these platforms play for brands in the near term, the next two, three years, as these brands seek to not only better understand how these platforms operate and what they can benefit from, but also connect with next generation digital communities? So I can tell you from, from uh, generally speaking, what brands are, are looking to do. I think it's, it's uh, certainly it's, it's how, do you, how do you engage with a younger audience, for sure? How do, you start, um, how do you start throwing your head in and making younger audience, audiences pay attention to your brand? If you look at uh, Roblox, why would Gucci want to be in Roblox and have even a younger generation and just uh, just play with their brand? It's because you're trying to make sure that they grow up um, already thinking or recognizing that specific brand as their own, right? So when they're older and they can spend money, well, that's a that's a brand that they were they were already using, they were doing something with. It's to, to test products sometimes. I believe Fenty uh, did something. They, they launched a lipstick, if I'm not wrong, in Roblox, right? And how do you do that? And how do you create a buzz around it? And then you can start and try to influence commerce uh, in, in real life. But for sure, all of them would, would love to be able to do commerce directly into the specific, uh, the specific platforms or audiences. And that could be, it's of two kinds. It's either, either commerce because they're buying a virtually native product or it's commerce because you're now buying directly uh, a physical product from a virtual experience. If you can bring all of that together and if it works well, then, then you're golden, right? And that's something that the retailers would like to do too. And if you're looking at retailers with a backend system that's already set up for e-commerce, well, how can they attach that to these uh, gaming environments so that they can provide that service and, and you have basically a, a world, again, that becomes, it's a definition of a virtual world similar to a physical world. Now it's virtual, but you can do the same things that you would do in a regular, uh, in a regular physical environment without having to, to leave your house and while you're chatting and having fun with your friends. These are really the things that they're trying to do and trying to do in these worlds. It's still difficult to do it. Um, 
because it's a it's a complicated technological hurdle. Uh, it's not all that simple. Uh, it doesn't matter which which platform you're looking at or which game you're looking at. Uh, but sometimes uh, brands are testing these things themselves. They try to create their own virtual worlds or their own virtual mini uh, shows and see if they can uh, at least have a product call out so that people can, can maybe look at a, a specific product a little bit more and ideally then take them to just buy that specific product or maybe buy something or receive something that will lead them to buy something later on. But it's really trying to bring all these things together and it's still... There, we are still at the very beginning of uh, of, uh, of the journey. So I given believe. how early, this was such a great overview. So given that we're so early in that journey for brands and given that there isn't yet that sort of quote unquote native commerce integration into this virtual world yet, but I suspect it should happen in the future. What would be your key recommendation to brand marketers today as they come into platforms like Roblox, like Fortnite Creative? Well, all the platforms are different. So you need to be able to try to figure out how to live uh, and how to create in these platforms. So just watching is not going to do it. You have to create, you have to try to create your own experience, ideally your own world and, and figure out what to do in it. Um, you have to have the right uh, agency or provider externally that will help you figure out what to do in that specific platform or in that specific game and what you want to get out of it. It's not enough to just build a game or it's not enough to just build something that's pretty if you don't have, uh, if you don't think of it in a, you know, from, a, from a business perspective, what you're trying to do, what your KPIs are and why you want to do that. Uh, you cannot be surprised if you have very different results from one platform to the other, depending on what they're leaning on uh, more, if it's a number of users, if it's uh, potentially a little bit of commerce. Uh, but you have to try, you have to test. Uh, and, and you cannot be too precious with, uh, with the time that you're going to spend doing these things or the, um, the amount of money is not going to be that great. So that's not going to be the, the problem. But you, you have to think of it as a, as a campaign. So the same way that you would do a campaign somewhere else uh, or you, some form of marketing activity, you would have uh, all sorts of uh, ways of bringing traffic there to see what the results you really want to get. You have to think about games or having these experiences into these games the same way. You have to promote them and you have to bring an audience there. So... Make sure that you have the right partners that will help you think about the entirety of, of, of the life of these, of these worlds and these experiences. And you have to try and you have to experiment, right? It reminds me, uh, I read in some book many years ago, you can't learn to swim by doing like this on the, on the sand, right? You have to jump in, you have to try, and then you learn if you, you, know, you thrive or dive. Um, Rafaela, and let's, let's not forget what, just one more thing. Um, most of the people or the executives that are creating these experiences or they want to do these experiences or these, these tests, they don't play games. So they have, they're even one step more removed. So even more so, go and try and make sure that you, you get the right partners to do that on the outside. That is very true. Rafaela, what are you most excited about for the next 12 months? I'm excited about not having to define uh, the metaverse anymore or not having to define 3D tools anymore, hopefully. Um, 
Uh, hopefully there will be a better understanding of that and we can just move forward to seeing results. I'm excited about the idea of bringing commerce directly into these experiences and, uh, and having more large uh, brands participate so that we're not just talking about one example or two, but we're actually talking about the results and what else we can do. And lastly, I am very excited about the possibility of bringing entertainment, gaming, and lifestyle together and just making it one uh, virtual experience uh, where you can do all of it at the same time. And again, I think it connects to that sort of element of human expression through avatars in virtual worlds, which is going to be so profound and completely underestimated, I think, by so many people around the world at the moment who think about virtual goods as this sort of something you purchase in in-game, in a video game, uh, and don't recognize that it's really about expression and connection, uh, which are profound human needs. Um, Rafaela, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Follow us on Substack. Uh, share the podcast if you enjoyed listening to Rafaela and myself. And of course, give us five-star rating. Rafaela, we'll see each other again. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Into the Metaverse. We hope you learned a lot and explored new aspects of the metaverse. 